We've come today to the 13th chapter of John's Gospel, and we've come to a point in the Gospel where John is really narrowing in upon the final days of Jesus. If you notice a narrative where emphasis is laid is how much time is spent to a topic, and John spends over eight chapters in these last days of Jesus. So we, we, we wanna see that this is an important uh, time in the gospel. And so today we're, we're gonna learn a surprising lesson from Jesus from John chapter 13, verses one to 20. So it's gonna be on the screen or you can turn there now. Hear the word of the Lord for us. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I I am telling you this now before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. You may sit down and, and let's come to the Lord now in prayer as we seek to understand and apply it into our lives. Father in heaven, your word is food for our souls. So help us to eat now by the power of your spirit. Help us to have our eyes opened 
to the beautiful realities that are here in your word. Humble our hearts and help us to receive. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. I wonder if you've uh, considered at some point how the world defines greatness. The world defines greatness by one's talent or power or fame or fortune. If you think of some of the great people of our world, the people that are on the news, they're people like Elon Musk, people like Taylor Swift, people like LeBron James. These are the great ones according to our world. But sadly, sometimes in the Christian world, we can define greatness by these same types of measures, by fame or influence or power or talent. But Jesus will have none of it. His definition of greatness is vastly different. And in today's passage, he's gonna show us the pattern that we must follow if we are his children. So if you're new here with us, you'll, you'll remember that throughout John's gospel, we've seen that Jesus is always in control. Nothing surprises Jesus about his life or even about his coming death. And this is no different. In the first three verses of our chapter today, they serve as an introduction to the rest of the text. And they highlight Jesus' knowledge as the Son of God. He knew his purpose. He knew his mission. So if you look there just briefly at verse one, it says that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew it was time to die, that he would be departing from the world and returning to the Father in heaven. Then verse two says that the devil had put this idea in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. It's a fact that Jesus is going to emphasize multiple times in our passage. He knows what's going on. He knows that Judas is going to do this. And then verse three tells us that Jesus knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. That means he had all power, all sovereignty. He has all control to do what he wants with it. But then John emphasizes that Jesus also knew that, again, that he knew where he had come from and where he is going, and that was to God. And so in that context, where Jesus is in full control, he has full knowledge, he acts. And he acts, and as he does so, the following core proposition emerges for us today in this text, and it's this. Since Jesus is the greatest servant, we must humbly receive from him and follow his, his example. Since Jesus is the greatest servant, we must humbly receive from him and follow his example. And that order is really important because so often people think of Christianity in the opposite way. They think it's all about following Jesus' example, just doing whatever Jesus said to do. And friends, if we follow that type of Christianity, if you could even call it Christianity, it leads to moralism. It leads to an ought to type religion. I, I ought to do this. Oh, I should be doing this. You know, yeah, falling short all of the time. But that's not the order in this text. It's not the order throughout all of God's word. Well, what is, what is the order? First, humbly receive from Jesus. That's in verses four to 11. And second, follow his example. That's in verses 12 to 20. So let's first think about what it means to humbly receive 
from Jesus. Well, I wonder if you've ever had a hard time receiving a gift from someone. Has that ever happened to you? Kind of like, no, I don't even want to accept this gift from someone. Well, why does that happen? Normally that happens because of our pride. It happens because we think we are on a different level than that person who's giving us a gift. We think we're on the gift giving level, not the gift receiving level when it comes to that person. I had this feeling some years ago when I went to minister in Congo with a group of people in East Africa. And here we were in this little town, very, very poor town. And these people came to us and they wanted to give us gifts out of their poverty. They were giving us gifts. And one of the gifts they gave to us or wanted to give to us was a live goat. And uh, at some point you're like, well, what are we gonna do with a live goat? (laughs) We were gonna eat it was the answer for for lunch the next day. But uh, our first response was no. You know, we came to serve you. We, we're kind of like at this level, you're at this level, was kind of our attitude. We, we can't receive a gift from you. We want to give a gift to you. And the point is, when we're, it's, it's uh, humbling, and it can be very humbling to receive a gift. But if we're going to come to Jesus, we need to humbly receive from him. That's the attitude that he wants from us. And in these verses, uh, in this first section, he shows us the posture that God wants us to take when receiving from Jesus. And so in these verses from 4 to 11, we can identify four reasons why we should humbly receive from Jesus. And the first reason that we should humbly receive from him is because he is the greatest servant. So listen to verse four once again. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What is Jesus doing here? He's taking the position of a first century slave or bond servant. This was uh, typical at that time that someone would come and wash your feet, but Jews thought it was abhorrent that another Jew would wash their feet. So Jews did not allow other Jews to wash their feet. Only Gentiles and lowly Gentiles at that could wash someone's feet. And so what Jesus is doing here would be very countercultural as a Jewish rabbi, a highly respected Jewish man, to get and wash the feet of his disciples. Like today, if we're thinking about foot washing, uh, you know, I've got shoes on, I showered this morning, just in case you're wondering. There's uh, socks. You know, if you came and washed my feet, it wouldn't be that big of a deal. It's kind of like maybe a little little gross, but, but not what it was in the first century. I was thinking about this uh, the other day when my son was wearing nothing, just barefoot, going outside, and he came inside, he was just full of mud, caked with mud and dirt all over his feet. That was nothing compared to what it was to wash someone's feet in the first century. Because you remember, the first century, there's no shoes, uh, it's open sandals. You shared the road with people and animals, and animals did their business on the road. You Uh, by the time you got to someone's house, your feet were probably muddy, caked with who knows what, and it was a nasty, messy job. 
It was just a lowly job. But Jesus was not doing this. He doesn't do this for a one-time show. He's not like, let me just show you how great of a servant I am. He was living out of his character. The character that he had shown throughout his entire life, even coming to Jesus, or coming to earth, uh, Jesus was showing his character and how low he was willing to go for us. I love how scholar F.F. Bruce put it when talking about Jesus. He says the form of God was not exchanged for the form of a servant. It was revealed in the form of a servant. In other words, this is who Jesus is. He's the greatest servant. So we should humbly receive from Jesus first because he's the greatest servant. Second reason we see here is why we should humbly receive from Jesus is because he will not accept our self-sufficiency or our pride. So look at verse six through the middle of uh, verse eight there. It says, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, <clears throat> you will understand. Peter is appalled that someone with the extreme dignity and worth of Jesus would stoop to the level of washing his feet. He was embarrassed for Jesus, and he was having none of it. And if we're honest, we know how Peter feels because instinctively we don't want those who we honor as greater than ourselves to do lowly tasks. Think about it, you wanna ask a special house guest, right, when they come over, be like, hey, thanks for coming to our house. Would you go mow our lawn? It's getting a little long. Could you just go mow our lawn? You wouldn't ask your boss when you get to work, hey, do you think you could park my car? It's raining outside, just go park my car and then, uh, you know, give, give me the keys back when I'm done. We would never think of asking the President of the United States to clean the gutters of the White House. Seems super inappropriate for someone of that stature. But that's the level of what Jesus is doing here. It should show us that, uh, his, Peter's reaction should show us that God's Values are so vastly different than the vast world. And this, this reaction from Peter is a natural human response, but Jesus is so patient with Peter. He knows that Peter won't understand, but later he says he will understand. That later to which Jesus is referring is not later in the passage. It's later after Jesus proves how great of a servant he is. When he is condemned as a criminal, when he is led to the hill on Golgotha, when he is stripped naked and crucified on a Roman cross. Only then, and only when the Holy Spirit enlightens Peter of what is going on, who Jesus is, will Peter really understand what he's doing right now in washing his feet. And this little interchange should remind us that often we need to trust Jesus in times that we don't understand what God is doing in our lives. There's many of us right now that don't get what God is doing, kind of looking at our life and, and questioning. But an interchange like this should remind us Jesus does know what he's doing. And we don't know right now, but we will in the future. But in his pride, Peter doubles down. Look at verse eight. Peter said to him, you shall never 
wash my feet. Peter can't stand it. He can't stand to have his rabbi, his teacher and Lord to serve him in this way. Why is that? It's because he doesn't yet understand how much he needs this man to do that for him. Because this, what he's doing is not just washing his feet, he's giving a symbol of what he's gonna do in washing him on the cross, which we're gonna see here in a moment. So it brings us to the third reason that we need to humbly receive from Jesus, and that's because he is the only one that can cleanse us. Listen to how Jesus responds to Peter, the second half of verse eight. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Another way to translate that would be, you have no inheritance with me. And so like he often does, Jesus here is using a tangible act of service to illustrate a deeper spiritual reality. He's done this throughout the book of John. He healed the man born blind to teach us about our own spiritual blindness and his ability to give us sight. He's done that throughout the gospel. He's doing that here as well. So here he's shifted beyond the mere physical act of washing Peter's feet, and now he's talking about the cleansing of Peter's soul, which is something that only he can accomplish. Jesus is showing us that this foot washing session is foreshadowing the greater cleansing that's gonna come on the cross just a few days later. And so Jesus' words here to Peter are true for everyone in this room and the whole world. Because unless Jesus has washed our sins away, and unless he has cleansed us after we have believed in him, and trusted in him through his death and resurrection, we have no share in him. We have no inheritance unless that is the case. As the famous hymn says, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Well, that brings us to the fourth reason we must humbly receive from Jesus, and that is because only those who humbly receive from Jesus can be saved. Look at verse nine. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That is why he said, not all of you are clean. So it's clear here that Peter still doesn't get it, and oftentimes we don't get it. He doesn't get the level on which Jesus is talking. So he figures, well, if I need Jesus to have any kind of portion, any kind of inheritance in him, not just my feet, Lord, just like give me a full bath. <laughs> you know, just do it all. Peter's, you gotta love his excitement, his exuberance. You know, Peter just, he's the guy who jumps off the boat. He's the guy who uh, says, I'll never deny you. He, he uh, we love his heart here, but, but it's a bit off. And so what is Jesus doing? Jesus, once again, is talking on a deeper spiritual level. He is saying that just as those who have bathed don't need another bath when they're, just their feet are dirty, so also those whose sins have been cleansed by him once and for all don't need to repeatedly ask for forgiveness because their sins are already forgiven. They are already clean. They're a new creation. I've heard of times, sometimes as a pastor, people say, I've just prayed time and time again that the Lord would save me from my sins. I've prayed the sinner's prayer. 
When you do that once for all, you are cleansed by Jesus. You are justified in his sight. So those who know Jesus only need their feet to be cleansed, which here represents the need for believers to regularly confess our sins. Not for salvation, not because it's gonna get us in or out with Jesus, but for a restoration of fellowship with the Lord. Well, Jesus knows our hearts, and he always tells us the truth. And so he tells his disciples, you are clean. Really, in the context, you all are clean. It's a plural. You all are clean. But then he qualifies it. And he says, but not every one of you. He's saying, you can pretend before others, but I know here who is not clean. And that is, that is true for all of us. You may be pretending right now before others about your spiritual state, about uh, what you think about Jesus. But Jesus is not fooled. He knows your heart. He knows those who are his. And although Judas has been with Jesus for three years, and he's seen all the miracles, he's been there for all the teaching, both public and private, he knows everything about Jesus there is to know he still does not believe. And he knows this. Jesus knows this. No one else yet knows this. Jesus wants to know that he knows what's going on. And before we move on, by way of application, I want, uh, I want us to consider uh, just how we are responding to Jesus right now in our lives. Maybe right now you are responding to Jesus in a prideful way, much like Peter did. You're thinking that you know more than Jesus when it comes to the circumstances that he's brought into your life right now. You're thinking that you know better than the all-knowing, all-powerful Son of God. When I put it like that, it probably sounds like, oh yeah, that's not a good thing to do. But if you find yourself in that place, you need to take Jesus' advice to Peter to heart when he says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Because if you know and love Jesus, there will be a day, it may not be until you're with him in heaven where you will understand what he was doing in your life. You probably won't want all the answers because it will be so glorious to be in heaven, but you will understand what he was doing when you see a bigger picture of what was going on in light of eternity. But the question is today, are you willing to humble yourself and trust Jesus for what you're going through? So that may be the case. You might be responding to him in a prideful way, or maybe you're approaching Jesus deceptively, like Judas, thinking that he doesn't really know. He really doesn't see what's going on in the depths of your heart. You kind of think you can hide some particular sin from him. And so you've refrained from coming to him about that sin. You, you're, you've refrained from confessing to him because you think, well, if I don't say it, then maybe he doesn't see. It's like a little kid who, uh, you know, when my two-year-old son, when we're chasing around and I say, daddy's gonna get you. And uh, he goes to the couch and he covers his head. And he thinks, well, at that point, I'm, I'm invisible. <laughs> he, he's not, I can see him. And, and we're not, God can see us. He, he knows us. He knows where we're at. He knows the sins we're struggling with. And so maybe today you need to just come into the light. 
come into the light for the first time and trust in Christ for some in this room to give your life to Jesus, to trust in him for eternal life, or to, if you do know Jesus, to come to him with those areas that are still in the dark. His arms are open wide, and he's willing and able to cleanse you. But maybe none of those approaches resonate with you, and you do feel like you're approaching Jesus humbly every day. And that's many, I believe, in this room. I don't think these categories are neat categories. But if that's you, you just need the reminder today to keep trusting him. Keep, don't, don't let your heart get hardened. Don't let your heart get prideful. We need to keep receiving from him humbly, relying on him every single day. Well, after we humbly receive from Jesus, after we've been cleansed by him, then we need to come to the next step, which is in verses 12 to 20, and that's to follow Jesus' example. Follow Jesus' example. The best leaders in the world lead by example. And as the greatest leader the world has ever known, Jesus has done just that with his whole life, but specifically in this act of foot washing. And now he explains why he's just done that to those who are following him. Listen to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as, also should do just as I have done to you. So the Lord here is teaching his 12 disciples, yes, he's doing that. But he's teaching every single one of us who knows and loves Jesus this morning. He affirms that he is their teacher and Lord. And if he has humbled himself by washing their feet, if he has taken this position of the lowliest of the low servants, then they and we must do the same to others. It's not an option for a follower of Jesus. Now, some people throughout church history have taken these words literally, and they think that foot washing has become, uh, had become some sort of like uh, sacrament, like baptism or the Lord's Supper. But that is almost surely not what the Lord is doing here. He, is, he said he's given us an example to follow, not that we literally wash one another's feet, which I know some Christian groups do that, and it's fine to do that if you want to wash one another's feet, but that's not exactly what Jesus is getting at here. It's not commanded anywhere in the New Testament to wash one another's feet, nor has the church across the centuries adopted this as a regular required ritual. So if that's not what we're called to do, what is Jesus commanding here? Well, he's given us an example, an example of the type of service that his followers should emulate. It's a principle that he wants us to follow. And that principle is this, that every follower of Jesus must take the posture of a servant and must be willing to do sacrificial, acts of sacrificial service to others, no matter what, no matter what level. That we must take a posture of a servant and be willing and actually act upon these acts of service. There's no type of sacrificial service that is beneath a follower of Christ. So Jesus highlights this principle further in verse 16 in case we want to wiggle out of that. 
He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So those of us who follow Christ, regardless of the size of our bank account, the position that we have in our jobs, our status in life, we are called, every single one of us, to be humble servants of one another because that is who our master is. That's who he is and we follow him. So as servants of Jesus, we're to follow in the way of our master. As one sent by him, we're called to follow in the way of the one who sent us. But just knowing that we're called to be servants is not enough because I assume in a group this size, everyone knows we're called to be servants. Jesus wants us to put this into practice. Listen to verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So Jesus promises blessing to those who seek to serve and not to be served. Those who want to bring blessing to others and not just be blessed by others. And so by way of application, if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, I want you to consider this question. Do you believe and are you acting upon these words of Jesus? to do as he has done to us? Or are you striving to get to a place in life where others just serve you? Because really, that's what our world says. You get to a certain point in life and others serve you. Because you have a certain income, you're a certain age, now you've earned it and people serve you. That's not what Jesus says. So if we're gonna take the posture of a servant, we need to know what a servant looks like. Someone's once said, you, you'll know if you're a servant by the way you react when someone treats you like one. So what are servants like? Well, servants are humble. Servants don't care who gets the credit. They better the lives of those around them. They're doing, servants are willing to do jobs that others aren't willing to do. They don't expect special treatment. They don't exalt themselves or they want to exalt those around them. They don't toot their own horns. They don't expect to be recognized. Let me give you a picture of what this looks like in three areas of life. So in work, in uh, family life, and then in church life. So one example of what this looks like at work life, I, I think of a boss I had uh, in the past. This was a guy who was one of the greatest servants I've known, follower of Christ. One time he had a wonderful office. It was a corner office, uh, beautiful views. He gave me his office, which was a little one, next to his, because he thought I could use it more than him. When the uh, team got together for team building, he would serve us like a kitchen staff. He was cleaning up after us, he was serving us at every turn. That, that's what it looks like in a, in a work context. And you can make your own adjustments accordingly. In a home context, I think of moms. And, and you mothers, you know, even if you're not a mother, you've come from a family, likely, so you, you know this to be true. Many here at Hope work outside the home, some don't. But moms serve and serve and serve. So many times without any kind of accolades, without any kind of recognition, nobody recognizes you moms when you get up in the middle of the night with a child. Nobody recognizes when 
kids are complaining about the food you make and you still keep making it and serving and loving and loving. You all have given us an example, especially those of us who are not female, of what that looks like in the home to be a servant. And then in the church, we've got great examples all around us here in the church because in the church, we are called to serve the body of Christ. And here at Hope Fellowship, we have people that serve so sacrificially behind the scenes. Right now, there are people that are not in this worship service because they're serving our kids and Hope Kids and Hope Nursery. There's setup teams, there's sound, there's teardown teams, there's people who are serving in mission groups, people that are meeting one-on-one for discipleship, walking alongside others. There's people that are teaching others. They are pouring out, and you all are pouring out your gifts in this way in the church. But I would ask, that may not represent you, so I would ask, um, what is a next step that God would have for you in this area, this area of service, to not just do acts of service, but to be a servant? Well, as we get to the end of the passage, it ends on a sobering note. It's highlighting one who did not humbly receive from Jesus, one who did not follow Jesus' example, one who is not a servant, but who is greedy and selfish for his own gain. Listen to verse 18. I am not speaking to of all of you, it's Jesus speaking. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Jesus, once again, is showing us that he knows all things. Nothing catches him by surprise. He knows that Judas, who is there with the other disciples right there, which, by the way, he was washing Judas's feet as well. He has just washed his feet. And he knows that Judas is about to betray him. But even that betrayal is a fulfillment of God's plan of salvation as it was predicted in his word back in Psalm 41. He wanted his disciples to know this information beforehand so that when it happened, they would believe, literally in the Greek, that they would believe ego emi, which means they would believe I am, the word for God, Yahweh. Even through betrayal, God is working to glorify himself and glorify his son, Jesus. And so, one small takeaway here, it's a a big one for some of us, is to know that the Lord knows the sorrow of being betrayed. He knows what it's like to have someone whom you love and trust turn on you. He knows what it's like to have a friend become an enemy. And I know there are many in this room who have experienced a betrayal of some kind. May have been a coworker, may have been a friend, may have been a spouse. And you have a story. And you can take comfort that the Lord knows your story. He knows your pain. And he does understand. And yet, at the same time, that doesn't take us off the hook for this call to be a servant. He still calls us to serve sacrificially and to love radically. Remember, he was serving and loving, even one he knew was gonna betray him. He was still serving and loving Judas. 
So we are still called to serve and love, knowing that others may not accept that service or treat us as we deserve, or even some may betray us that we are serving. We must follow his example in that. Well, the passage ends with Jesus reiterating his identification with his followers in verse 20. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one who I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So when you follow Jesus' example by welcoming fellow Christians into your lives, and when you welcome people into this church community here at Hope, and you serve them, it's as if we're welcoming and serving the Lord Jesus himself. We can't say that we love Jesus if we don't love and receive his people, the ones that he have, has sent to us. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 25. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, to me. So I would ask you, who has the Lord sent to you to love and to serve with the love of Christ? Take a moment to remember the blessing of this type of service, the the expectation that Jesus has that we would be serving in this way. There is great reward in serving in this way. There may be some difficulty in the moment, but the reward and the blessing that Jesus promises will never fail. He always returns on his promises. You will be blessed. Well, as we close, I want to draw our attention to Luke's account of this same meal, this last meal between Jesus and his disciples. Because we get a little insight into the foot washing of what was going on, because the disciples were fighting about who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And in the course of that conversation in Luke 22, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Jesus says, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. And then he goes on to say, but I am among you as the one who serves. Kind of wonder in the course of the conversation, had he just said that and then did he go wash their feet? We don't know. We don't know how that worked in that meal. But we're still amazed by Jesus. Jesus served us by going to the cross, by scorning its shame so that we might be cleansed of our sins and we might live forever. And now, once we have believed in him, we've received forgiveness, he empowers us through the power of the Holy Spirit to be like him. This isn't a grin and bear it, I gotta serve people. This is, I have God's very own spirit within me to go and serve in the strength that he gives. Remember, Jesus' kingdom is upside down. In God's sight, the greatest are the servants. They're not the rich, they're not the talented, They're not the most influential, they're the servants. They go to the lowest of the low. And so today, let us humbly receive from him, and then let us go and serve him by serving others he has put in our path. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are in awe of you when we think of your greatness, When we think of your majesty, we think of you being worshiped for all time in heaven, and yet then you would leave that to come as a man and to serve, to serve 
and to serve to the point of your death, even death on a cross. And Lord, we know you didn't just do that for a moment, but that is your heart, that is your character, that is who you are. And so, Lord, make us more like you are. Change us, Lord, by the power of your spirit that we might receive from you and go and serve others radically and sacrificially in the power that you give. We pray that in Christ's name, amen.